Um, we are continuing now our series for this holy week Easter season called Is This Justice? And our scripture for today is out of the book of Matthew chapter 27, 11 uh, to 26, if you want to follow along with me. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I have suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they shouted. Pilate asked them, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. And then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, his blood be on, on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Thank you, Pastor Eric and our children. Great to have them this morning, and welcome to Friends Church on today, Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of Holy Week, and so Welcome. Uh, today, we start the Holy Week, of course, by uh, celebrating that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. Uh, tonight, we continue the celebration. For those of you who this is your night for party at the pastor's, uh, you get to celebrate. We get to continue the party tonight, okay? Now, if, if you didn't get an email saying tonight's your night, please don't show up. We've got a house full already. <laughs> but if you, but if, you got your, if you got your email saying, party at the pastors, this is your night. Uh, tonight's the first one of those. You'll be the guinea pigs, and we're looking forward to that. Then Monday, it's Monday of Holy Week, tomorrow, uh, we pay unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? Um, April 15th, tax day, right? Yeah, so that doesn't always happen during Holy Week, but this year it does. So render unto Caesar. And then, of course, Friday, Good Friday, we will be back here. Uh, in this room at noon, we will be having a special time of quiet, reflective prayer as we consider the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And then be here at 7 o'clock uh, Friday evening as we uh, remember uh, the sacrifice in a special Good Friday service. I think uh, hopefully you'll find that very special. And then, of course, Easter Sunday morning, we will be gathering 8 o'clock. So if, and now if you're an 11 o'clock person, on, normally you might not be an 8 o'clock person. 
But if you're an 8 o'clock person on Easter, we'd love to have you here at 8. It's uh, a special service. It'll be the same, but it'll just be an extra service, 8, 9, 30, and 11. And just wanted to point out to you, there's an insert in your program. Um, our missions, as a denomination missions board, is just as they tend to do about this time of year, run maybe a little uh, short. Winter's a tough time, and, and so they're running a little short looking forward to, to their um, budget. Their budget now is June, it ends June 30th, their year, or July 31st, excuse me. And, and they're running short, so they've asked if our churches would take up a special Easter offering. And so if you would like to participate in that, um, we're, it won't be our regular offering, but if you follow these instructions that are on here, uh, make the checkout specifically in addition to your uh, tithes and offerings. Make, it a, make a checkout to the special Easter offering for EFM missions. All the instructions are here, and we're going to help and do what we can to help with that need that, that they have. Uh, on there, you'll see a lot of the pictures of our missionaries. Uh, Abe and Diane Bible, you see on there, they're going to be here in just a little over a month. We're excited about having them. And so... Some of these names maybe you're not real familiar with, but we support all of these missionaries through the money we send to our headquarters down in Canton. Encourage you to do that, but looking forward to next Sunday. As Pastor Eric mentioned, we have been in this process of um, thinking about what led up to the crucifixion. And our title of series is this, Justice. Uh, last week we talked about some of the, the first trial. And you know, when you get into these trials, it gets confusing because there's both civil and religious and governmental. You know, you're, you're mixing religion and, and politics, which is never good. <laughs> when, and especially when you've got corrupt religious leaders and corrupt politicians. You know, something good's probably not going to come out of this. And so they come and they bring the charges to Jesus, and we have this, the trial of Jesus, or some say the trials of Jesus, and it appears that Matthew breaks these into two trials, the trial before the Sanhedrin and the trial before Pilate. Some people even break it into as many as six trials. Uh, I don't call them trials at that point. I call them more um, appearances uh, of Jesus. And so when we look at this today, we are looking at these, this, 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 this trial process and it's not just in Matthew that Pastor Eric read to us, but this is also obviously recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Luke. It's recorded in John. And, and each one of them have some very unique and special aspects of this. Points that they bring out that you look at and say, oh, I didn't read that other places. And so this morning, um, we're talking, and Matthew is our central text, but really we're going to be looking at and referring to all of these gospel texts, and especially John a little bit as we look through this. So... So think, keep that in mind because we come here and, and this trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin had just ended. Eric ended last week with this tearing of the robe of the high priest and crying out, blasphemy, blasphemy, he is guilty. Right after that in Matthew, it breaks from that scene. We see... Peter denied the Lord three times. And then chapter 27, verse 1, we pick up the scene again. And we read this. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, 
They led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. As you recall the injustice of this trial before the Sanhedrin, it was at night. No trials were to be at night. It was on, it was on Friday, which would not allow the, the second hearing on Saturday, the Sabbath, to happen. So it was illegal in that way. All kind of problems with this, these, this trial. But anyways, when they were done with it, they were done in the middle of the night, and they had to do something with Jesus now. They had to do something with Jesus. When we were in... Jerusalem about a year ago, we visited the compound, which is likely the place, uh, they believe the place where Caiaphas' compound was, the home of Caiaphas here at the turn of the, at the, the time of Christ. It's so amazing because in that house, in that place where Caiaphas would have, would have ruled, there's a, there's a dungeon. And you walk down into that dungeon, and that dungeon is dated back to the time of Christ. It's, it's round, it's not real big, but it's enough to hold a prisoner. It's enough to take a prisoner and to beat them while they're there. And to sit in that place, to stand in that place and read scripture and think that this is where Christ could have been held it was an overwhelming, an overwhelming feeling. And so you're down there realizing that, that the night Christ was there waiting for dawn. And the scripture tells us here that once dawn broke, that the chief priests and the elders, says all the people plotted against Jesus and how to put him to death. What are we going to do? So they tied him up. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Now, I don't know if this is a real theological term, but I call this the great handoff. It reminds me, of course, of football. <laughs> reminds me of football. A handoff. You know, like it or not, Jesus had become a political football in this time. You know what political footballs are? Um, everybody wants to make their argument, make their argument sound good so they sound good, and then the other side goes back to the other side and they make their argument and it goes back and forth and back and forth, but nobody ever does anything about it. <laughs> Nobody has the courage to take action, but they argue. And they, this, I used to say they get their talking points out. Now it seems to be that it's their yelling points at each other. And it's one thing when a, when a policy, maybe Medicare or, med, or medical costs, end up being a political football. It's another thing when a person becomes a, a political football. Jesus was a political football. In fact, if we go back these six trials that some people call that Jesus were, was in, started all the way back, even before he went to Caiaphas last week. The men went to the garden that Jesus had been praying, and they, the, their soldiers arrested Jesus, and they took Jesus. They brought him and they handed him off, not to Caiaphas first, but to Caiaphas' father-in-law, Annas. Annas had been the high priest. He was probably deemed to be more powerful than Caiaphas. He was probably in his 80s and Everybody knew that if he really wanted something, you went to Annas. So Annas questioned him. And then they slapped Jesus around a little bit. And then it says that Annas took Jesus and he handed him off to Caiaphas. Caiaphas then, realizing what he had here, and it was, it, of course, they had planned this. Jesus had been arrested. Caiaphas says, all right, now I need to take and I need to make another handoff. And he handed it off to the Sanhedrin. And it was the Sanhedrin that had pronounced him guilty and, and, and guilty and 
the penalty of death. And so it says in the scripture that after tying him off, they led him up and handed him over because they wanted to put him to death. And it says they handed him over to Pilate. Now, why Pilate? Why, why do they need to go to Pilate? Why don't they just do it? Well, according to Roman law, the Romans would give up certain rights, certain, certain ways that the, that the people under them could rule and take care and, and, and govern their, their nations or in their, their countries. But one thing they would not do is give up their right to execute. That was a Roman right. And so if you wanted somebody executed, you had to appeal to or go to a Roman authority. And it just happened that the governor was in town. Pilate was in town. Now, he would have been very typical for him to be in town at this time because it was the Passover. And he was there for the Passover because the governor basically had two jobs. Oh, he had other things to do, but there were two main things the governor had to do. One was collect the money to send to Rome. Rome wanted their money. So it was the governor's job to make sure that money got to Rome. The second thing the governor was required to do or had to do was to keep the people happy. Keep the peace. Because Rome did not want to hear that there were uprisings. In fact, you know if there's uprisings, the chances are the money's not going to get to Rome. And so it was very critical that the peace be kept, they be kept somewhat happy so that they would continue to send their money to Rome. And that was, that was all he was there for. And so in a big event like the Passover, when people were coming from all over into Jerusalem, certainly that would be the place where he would be. And so, it's, so it says in the scripture there that they brought him to Pilate. In Luke, we read in this, in this story, that, that they repeat what the charges are to Pilate. But lo and behold, the charges weren't the same charges that he'd been convicted upon. How would you like that? You go to trial and you're convicted, found guilty, and then when it comes to the sentencing phase, they said, oh, here's what he's guilty of. Here's why. Jesus was found guilty. If you remember, Caiaphas, blasphemy, blasphemy. Rome didn't care a whole lot about blasphemy. Rome didn't care about the religious aspects. And so they knew they had to come up with something. And so they says, okay, here's Jesus. He says in Luke, in Luke chapter 22, I believe it is, he says, he says that you should not pay taxes to Rome, to Caesar. It was a lie. He said just the opposite. Now, he did say pay to God what's God's. So, you know, they can twist the words the way they want to twist them. The other thing they said is he claims to be the Messiah, the king of the Jews. Well, True, he, he was allowing that to be said. But it's certainly a twisting and a misinterpretation of what Jesus meant. So Pilate heard the accusations. And like you and I might do, if we were in Pilate's shoes, then he's got some questions that he needs to ask, right? He wants to know a little more about this. And so as we read through these scriptures, passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we see some questions being asked. And there are three questions in particular that I think for us this morning are critically important. And the first question that Pilate asked Jesus is this, are you the king of the Jews? In fact, this question is in all four of the gospel accounts. And it's all four times, it's the way that, that, that um, Pilate begins his examination. 
Now, you know, if you've been on this witness stand before, the first thing they always ask is state your name and your address, where you live, and all those things. And who are you? That's the question really behind Pilate here. Who are you? Who are you? Are you really who you say you are? Are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you said it. You said it. The question of who Jesus is is the question that most of us wrestle with long before we become a Christian. Is he who he says he is? Is he the king? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that was spoken of by the prophets? Is he really? Is he the one? It was Jesus who said, come and follow me. Okay, but Jesus, who are you? Christianity hinges on this fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Christianity is based on the fact that Jesus is the king. That he is who he says he is. It rests on that conviction. So Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? But what he's asking is, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Some people wonder if he was being maybe satirical. So, are you the king of the Jews? You know, you don't look like much a king. <laughs> you know, you're being brought here and you're, you're, not, you're, you're not dressed like a king. I, don't, I hear you don't live like a king. You don't have a palace, you know. And are these your uh, followers? Are, are they your palace guard? And, and so, it's interesting because I, I think he really meant it though because if, if you look back into the, the, the Luke account, excuse me, the John account in John chapter 18, there's a little bit further discussion between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate has said, who are you or are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is so. And Jesus kind of follows that up a little bit. He says, are you asking me this because you thought of this or did somebody else tell you? Where did this question come from? And Pilate replies, hey, am I a Jew? I, it's not, I don't know. People are telling me this. You know, I, that's what I hear. And then he says this, what have you done? What is it? I think, I think Pilate has this, why are you here? What is it that, what is it that you've done that's brought you here with these, all these people so upset, so angry that they want to kill you? What is it that you have done? And he moves that question from who are you to what have you done? What have you done? Jesus and Verse 36 there in chapter 18 of John answers him this way. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Notice he still refuses to say what he's done. Last week, he never answered one of the accusations. The issue for Jesus is not what he's done, it's who he is. And he starts off by saying, my kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> and my kingdom's not for me. Can you imagine if you're Pilate 
And he starts off with, well, my kingdom's not of this world. It's another world. I'm from another place. And, my, and can you imagine what Pilate might have been thinking? <laughs> okay, we got one of those. Thinks he's from Mars. Yeah, I don't worry. So what kingdom, what galaxy are you from, Luke Skywalker, you know, type thing, you know. Who are you? Can you imagine if someone was called, maybe Jesus was called before our, our Senate, a Senate hearing. We've seen a lot of those, it seems like, lately, you know. And you see a Senate hearing, and he steps up and he goes, would you state your name and where you're from? I'm Jesus, I'm from another world. <laughs> Can you imagine what the senators would think as they... Start to question, uh, come on, be serious. There's either something wrong with you or, or this, is, this is haywire. We don't understand this. And say, but to Jesus, it wasn't as important of who he was. He wasn't there to defend himself. He wanted to talk about his kingdom. The charges, the charges. In fact, reflecting and maybe fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, where it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like the sheep silent before her shearers, she did not, he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't answer the charges. He just continued to say who he was and where his kingdom was from. After he said that, my kingdom's not from here, Pilate Responded, and it's the next verse. He says, This, you are a king, then. Now let's stop there. Reading, unfortunately, we don't get the inflection. So we really don't know what Pilate meant here. If he really thought he was loony because he said he was from some galaxy far away, I could see it. <laughs> you know, so you are a king, then, huh? You know, yeah, yeah, play along, yeah. But again, I, I, I sense maybe this is, this is Pilate searching, and, and he says, so you, you are a king then. And again, again, he speaks. Who are you? Jesus replies, you say that I'm a king. You said it. You said it. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Again, Jesus says, I'm, it's your saying I'm a king. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you why I'm here. I was born for this. Now, again, we miss the inflection a little bit in the intonation. I, I know one way of saying that. And maybe you've heard somebody say this. Oh, I was born for this. <laughs> You know, if I, sometimes an, an entertainer or somebody up front, you get all the glory. Oh, man, I was born for this. But when, when you do that, it's all about you, right? It's all about you. Pele, the great Brazilian, said, I was born to play football. That was a different football. <laughs> Pele played the round ball. <laughs> but he said, I was born to play football like Michelangelo was born to paint and Beethoven was born to write music. Some of us said, I was born for this. I don't think, I'm just guessing that's not the tone Jesus used. I think Jesus was saying, I was born for this. For this. I was born to be here today. I was born not to defend myself. I was born for this. 
I was born to be right here in front of you today, Pilate, and to share the truth. That's what I was born for. It's not about me, Pilate. It's never about me. It's about you. Jesus was always that way when he was confronted and people would challenge him. He'd always turn. He, would, he was concerned about the people that he was ministering to, the people he was dealt with, the people that came in contact with. He was, it, was, it was Jesus' way of reaching out, not talking about himself, not concerned about himself. He was more interested in appealing to Pilate than defending himself. <laughs> He was more interested in appealing to Pilate than defending himself. He says, I have truth. I have truth for you, Pilate. I have truth for you. In fact, we know that Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I have truth for you. It's at this point where a lot of people say, this is no longer the trial of Jesus. But it's the trial of Pilate. Pilate's being put on trial by Jesus. Jesus' fate has already been sealed. The Lord and God had planned this. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus knew what he was about to do. This was not about Jesus. He had turned the tables and was addressing Pilate. And he says, I have truth. Can you handle the truth? Jesus wasn't asking for justice. He wasn't asking for justice. He was asking for the truth to be heard. And Pilate, in that time, in that moment, could only respond with the second question, and it's this, what is truth? What is truth? Again, we don't know the intonation. We don't know if it's, ah, what's truth? Or a frustration. What is truth? I, I don't know. Tell me, what is truth? Jesus was right in front of him. And yet he spoke these words, what is truth? And he didn't take the time to follow up any more questions. Jesus wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Wouldn't this have been a great time to say, truth? Let's have a conversation. But no, Pilate did not want to wrestle with the truth. He didn't want to wrestle with the fact that this man might be somebody that he needed to understand. This man might have truth for him that in his mind he had not accepted. He wouldn't take time to consider the truth, even faced with the possibility of carrying out the greatest injustice in the history of the world. Don't bother me with the truth. Let's keep this thing Moving along. He'd rather just accept what he already knows and move on from there. Does that sound like us at times? Jesus says, I am the truth, here's the truth, and well, what is truth? Can we really know truth? Boy, we hear that a lot in our society today. There are atheists and agnostics who say, what is truth? You can't know truth, and certainly Jesus is the truth. There's, there's seekers who are seeking, what is the truth? I want to know the truth. There's even Christians who come to a point in our lives where we, have to, we start questioning and we say, what is the truth? I think this is especially true for someone like myself. You know, I, I was one of those that was born with a silver Bible in my mouth, <laughs> you know, type thing. I was born in a Christian home. I grew up loving Jesus and all that. And I, and I, I remember, you know, from from knee-high to a grasshopper being taught and, and, and never really questioning anything. 
I don't even remember when I accepted Christ at that age, except I do remember about eight or nine years old going to a, 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 a camp, a summer camp. And at that point in time, they ask you to come forward if you want to make Jesus your Savior. And I came forward and I received uh, the Bible that they gave and, the other, and, and they talked to me about receiving Christ. And, but even then, I'm, I'm eight or nine years old, and believe it or not, you know, our eight or nine-year-old minds aren't quite as intelligent as we are when we're 18 and 19 and 20. And we start asking the questions that we never asked when we were eight or nine. We start seeking the truth. And sometimes we're afraid to seek the truth. We're afraid to, to say, Lord, what, what is it that I didn't understand? What didn't I know? What do you have for me that's, that's new and fresh? Are we willing to seek the truth? Wherever it takes us. Theologian William Barclay has this to say about the process of wrestling with the truth. He says, if a man fights his way through his doubts to the conviction that Jesus is Lord, he has attained a certainty that the man who unthinkingly accepts things can never reach. If we've, if we've wrestled with the truth, if we've dived into the scripture, if we've, if we've sat down in, in our groups and we've had these discussions, the tough discussions of who Jesus is, who are you, Lord? And what is your truth? And how does that truth apply to me? Have we done that? How, are we willing to, to set everything we know aside and say, Lord, speak to your truth to me? What is truth? What is truth? About this time, I think Pilate's starting to sweat a little bit. Wouldn't you be if you were in his shoes? I think he's starting to sweat. And all of a sudden, someone is, 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 is somewhere in this time, uh, we're told, I believe it's in the Luke version, that someone said, hey, um, this man started this trouble way back in, when he was in Galilee. And Pilate goes, Galilee? Galilee? Hey, I don't have jurisdiction in Galilee. Herod has jurisdiction in Galilee. It's, it's a Passover. Herod's in town. He's in the castle just around the corner. Take him to Herod. <laughs> Pass the ball to Herod. And so we read in Luke chapter, in Luke, that, that, that he takes, they take Jesus and they take him to Herod. And Herod is thrilled to see Jesus because he's heard all these stories. And it says he's excited to see Jesus. And he brings Jesus in. But what he really wanted to see was the sideshow of miracles. He just wanted to see Jesus do some fancy healings and different things and part the whatever could be parted in his castle, you know, those type of things. And it says when he didn't do that, they started questioning him, and he wouldn't speak to him. He wouldn't answer any of the accusations. And it says after that, they, they started to ridicule him. And they started to put a robe on him, started to ridicule, and they sent him back and handed him back to Pilate. Handed him back to Pilate, said, it's your call, your call. So Pilate stuck with him again. Pilate's sweating some more. And then all of a sudden he gets another idea. Hey, wait a minute. And we see this in, in the Matthew chat, in the Matthew uh, account. He says, wait a minute, this is a time of year where we release a prisoner. All right, I can get rid of this problem. <laughs> he says, and so he, 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 he says, I can finally get rid of this. I can, I can pass it off. And, 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 he says, I, and he says, so he goes to the, to the people and he says, you know, I, it's time to release a prisoner. I have this man called Barabbas. 
Barabbas, the Bible tells us in the different uh, books, he's a, he's a murderer, he's a thief, a robber, and he's an insurrectionist. Just the kind of guy you want running your neighbor, roaming through your neighborhood. <laughs> and he says, I'll release, it's tradition to release him. Do you want your king released or do you want this murderer, Barabbas, released? And they say, release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Matthew even notes in this point, and I think it's kind of interesting, he inserts this, that, that Pilate's wife had a dream and said, you know, I had, a, I had a bad dream and it all centered around this innocent man you've got. You better have nothing to do with him. And uh, Pilate didn't listen. Pilate didn't listen to her at all. He... Uh, He'd gone through his, his playbook. Herod, no. Barabbas, no. And he finally says, you know what? I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And they yelled, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so, the third and final question is this. What should I do then with Jesus who's called Christ? And really, this is the big question. What do you do with Christ? What do you do with him? What's amazing to me, though, is here is Pilate making the biggest decision of his life. The decision that is going to be counted and recorded through history the decision that is going to mark him personally. And you know what he does? He punts. He punts. Now, if you know what football is, punts is me, you just kick the ball over to the other team and say, and I no longer have control of the ball. The biggest decision he could ever make, and he punted what to do with Christ. He washed his hands, he released Barabbas, and he turned Jesus over to the crowd. Even though he knew he was innocent. He knew he was innocent, and he knew it was only because of the jealousy of these folks that Jesus was before him. Rather than dealing with the truth, rather than fighting for justice, he gave into the crowd. You know, we shake our heads at times. How could you do that? But this was all part of God's plan. This was Jesus' destiny. In fact, last week, Pastor Eric noted Paul's message in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was going to die anyways. But Pilate punted. Peter kind of enforces what Paul says in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You know, we all stand in Barabbas' shoes. Right? Barabbas 
was freed because Christ took his place. We all stand in Barabbas' shoes and that we are all guilty. If you're a Christian, you stand in Barabbas' shoes because Christ died for you in your place. And we all stand in Barabbas' shoes because none of us merited it. We do not merit what Christ did for us. This, this act of Christ, to go and be crucified in the place of Barabbas represents what he has done for us. Barabbas is us. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. That is the mystery, which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. There's a mystery to it. It's a mystery, but it's full of grace. Somehow, we exchange our sin for his righteousness. Some call that the great exchange. The great exchange. It's a mystery, but it's an exchange that Jesus took upon us. The, what appears to be the great injustice of his death brings us life. It's this paradox that Pastor Eric was talking about last week. The paradox of having life and death. The paradox of we are sinners, but yet we're righteous because of what Christ has done for us. So there's three questions. Three questions. Who is Jesus? What's he say and what's the truth he teaches? And what are you doing about it? What are you doing about this Jesus? I implore you, don't punt on the biggest decision you ever make. Don't put it off. Don't, you know, the, the, the biggest decision we ever make is what we do with Jesus. Don't punt. Don't punt. Go for it. Go for it. Fourth century historian Eusebius tells us a little bit about what supposedly happened to Pilate. A few years later, there was an insurrection, or there was a, a rumor of an insurrection that really didn't happen. Pilate went out and killed many Jews that were not doing anything wrong, and the emperor got upset with him. He was called back to Rome, Caligulus, found in disfavor, and a few years later, um, things did not go well for him, and a few years later, he commits suicide. I wonder if he hadn't punted what might have happened. I wonder if he might have, could have been an Apostle Paul or somebody, you know? Thinking, hey, I, used to, I, was, I was the one who put Christ on trial, but now I serve him, I follow him. If he hadn't punted. Don't punt. Don't punt the big decision. The band's going to play a song and sing a song that 
I think speaks to our hearts today. And as it's being played, I just wonder, as you think about these questions, who is Jesus? What's his truth? And what do I do with him? If, if, if you want to accept the Lord, the altars are always open. But too, if you just write, if you want to write on the, that card there, it says, hey, I want to accept the Lord and bring it up to us or drop it in the box in the back, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get with you. But take time. Take time to think through. Examine who he is, the truth. And don't punt.
Let's pray. Father, today we come what, a couple thousand years later, and we still ask that question, how can it be? Lord, that your grace is, and your mercy is so great and overwhelming and deep that you reach to us, Lord, in our lostness, in our sin, and you took our place. Lord, we're, our hearts are full of gratitude and praise and adoration that you would step in, give us what we don't deserve. Lord, we didn't receive justice. We received your grace instead. Thank you. We received your mercy. Praise your name. Lord, help us this week. to take that question, that final question, what do we do with Jesus Christ? Make sure that we can answer that in the affirmative. We have surrendered our life to him. We are serving him. We are following him. We are trusting him as we come together next week to celebrate the resurrection, that glorious day. Go with us now. Lord, may we go in the peace and grace and mercy of our Father. May we go to serve a world that is dark. And may we go to spread this good news, the good news of Jesus taking our place and the new life he gives. We are free. We are free. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you Friday noon, 7 o'clock, Sunday morning, 8, 9, 30, 11. Go, come back to worship. Have a great Holy Week.